We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Pity the poor black widow spider. Though their bite can be fatal to humans and is particularly painful, the females of the various species have an unjust reputation for devouring their partners after performing the devil's tango. In fact, experts on arachnids claim that following a tryst, the male almost always gets to flee unscathed. Audrey Marie Hilly was given the epithet Black Widow by the media and her prosecution after killing her husband Frank in 1975 and making an attempt to kill her daughter Carol three years later. Hilly's violent career is quite typical, notwithstanding the victims that she chose, which possibly included her mother and mother-in-law. Her case is intriguing because of the events that followed her arrest. This is the case of the Black Widow, Audrey Marie Hilly. Hello, lovely listeners. It's Dom, and welcome to this week's bonus episode of Horror House, True Crime, and the Macabre. I hope you're having a lovely week. It is hump day. It is Wednesday, my dudes and dudettes. Um, It is near the end of the week. We're almost at the finish line. We got this. Also, please take this as your reminder that you are an amazing human being. You are beautiful inside and out from head to toe. You're awesome. You are killing it. And I'm very, very glad that you have decided to join me today. And me and Amy are both very glad that you're always tuning in every week. You're amazing. And don't forget that. Please don't ever think that you're not amazing because you are. We love each and every one of you. Uh, That got really, really soppy, didn't it? (laughs) Get the sick bucket. So as you might have guessed, it is just me um, on this bonus episode and already I can hear the sound of people changing to a different podcast to listen to. <laughs> I mean, if that's the case, if you've already switched off, I don't blame you. I hope you do decide to still stay and still listen. It's been a while since I've even attempted a solo episode. Last time I attempted a solo episode, it was an absolute clusterfuck and it went horribly, horribly wrong. And I hated it and it destroyed my confidence and I haven't felt comfortable in even a- even attempting to do a solo run again so this might go well this might go horrendously bad it might be an okay episode it might be a a dumpster fire we'll see (laughs) that's the fun i suppose but uh but yes today uh this bonus episode is about the black widow audrey marie hilly who as we will as we will discuss and and as you will see is an interesting lady uh, she's she's got a bit of an ego on her. She's she's a bit of a narcissist, shock horror, right? Someone that we talk about on the show's got a bit of an ego. Who saw that coming? But it's it's a pretty fascinating case, and it's got a pretty fascinating conclusion as well. Um, so without further ado, I'm rambling. Let's get into this week's bonus episode, and let's talk about the Black Widow, Miss Audrey Marie Hilly. Lucille and Huey Fraser would welcome Audrey Marie Fraser into the world on June the 4th, 1933. 
in the Blue Mountain neighborhood of Anniston, Alabama. Huey and Lucille both hailed from families whose livelihood depended heavily on the nearby mills. So by the time they got married in January 1932, they were both used to the hard hours of effort necessary to survive in Depression-era Alabama. When Audrey Marie was born, Lucille had no plans to stay at home with the baby. Instead, she quickly went back to work at the Linen Thread Company, and family members looked after Marie while her parents worked long shifts. There was never any question about the Fraser's affection for little Marie. They were realists, nevertheless, just like the others around them, um, and they knew that a single wage would not cover a family of three's requirements in these difficult times. Huey and Lucille appreciated the assistance and were grateful for their family's love and support, and they spoiled Audrey in an effort to make up for the time that they had, um, that they had spent apart. Uh, Audrey was given what she wanted from a very young age. Even the smallest reprimand or denial would probably result in a loud, loud tantrum. Perhaps feeling guilty, the Frasers never saw the need to enforce any meaningful punishment towards their child. Yeah, that that's gonna that's not gonna bode well, um, and it's not gonna it's not gonna come come back into play later in any way, shape, or form. I get it. You want your children to be happy. Like I'm not a parent. I'm not a dad, and I've got no plans to be a parent. But I can imagine, like as a parent, you want to make your kid happy and you want to treat them and you probably do want to spoil them but at the same time you know that if you give them everything they ever want then when you finally do say no it's not going to go down very well the phrases believed that their child would have a better future than they did they boasted that their daughter wouldn't have to spend a lifetime breathing the stuffy oppressive air of the mills a modest goal that looked the loftiest of hopes in the context of the phrase's period and environment was that she would graduate from high school and become a secretary. It was the norm for Blue Mountain girls to get no more than a grade school education before starting work at Linning Thread. But not Audrey. No, no. Or in the words of Bailey Sarian, nay, nay. The dream is to get Bailey Sarian on this podcast. I have, yeah, she's like my celebrity slash influencer crush. If I met Bailey Sarian, I, I wouldn't be able to string a sentence together. Like, if I met Bailey Sarian, I would just turn into this drooling puddle of, of incomprehensible non-humanness. Um, Audrey was different. She was special. And her parents would tell her so. The Fraser family relocated from Blue Mountain to Anniston in 1945. And when Marie would... Um, enroll in Quinta Junior High School for the seventh grade. While physically adjacent to Blue Mountain, um, Aniston had a completely different social environment. The owners of the many mills and companies where Marie's relatives had traditionally worked made up the majority of Aniston's upper class. Um, at Quintard, Audrey was surrounded by privileged kids and formed relationships with them. She took her studies seriously, joined the student council, and developed a reputation for maturity and intelligence. She was well-dressed and attractive, and by the end of her seventh grade year, the Aniston High School yearbook staff had chosen her to be the prettiest girl in Quinted. America, you are something else. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, that might be a thing here as well, but I, I don't know of, of that to be a thing. 
Um, at Aniston High, she would continue to achieve success. She joined the Commercial Club, a group for young women interested in secretarial employment and the future teachers of America. She was recognized by her peers as a girl of depth and trustworthiness because of her serious demeanor. While she loved the attention she got from the boys and their second glances at her appearance and sense of style, Audrey Marie was already spoken for. She was Frank Hilly's girl. Frank Hilly was from an Aniston family whose men worked in the, other, in the area's other big industry, which is pipe making. What Frank, uh, Frank and his two sisters, Frida and Jewel, may have lacked in worldly possessions, they more than made up for in affection in Clarence and Carrie Hilly's close-knit, loving family. Frank was dependable and loyal despite having a temper, and while he wouldn't shy away from the odd fight, he would genuinely prefer to avoid getting dirty. When he first met Audrey, uh, she was 12 years old and he was a junior in high school. Um, by the time he graduated, he had fallen head over heels for Audrey Marie. So obviously, so a lot of our listeners are American. So you're already going to be familiar with what age you know you are in certain grades. Um, but being British, I had no idea. So for any Americans who are unlikely to be unfamiliar with the ages for the different grades, but for the Brits who most likely are unfamiliar with you know how old a junior is um in high school for example i did some digging and a junior in high school is 16 to 17 years old uh audrey marie was 12 yikes <laughs> audrey accepted his adoration despite her parents wishes frank treated her like a queen despite not coming from one of aniston's wealthy families he tried his best to maintain his temperamental um, girl's happiness despite being envious of other boys' attention towards her. They had heated, dramatic disputes like most young couples do, but they would always come to an understanding. Uh, Frank missed Audrey and longed for their reunion when he joined the Navy after graduating from high school. He had been assigned to Guam and the distance and time away were unbearable. Um, he married Marie in 1951 while he was on leave out of fear of losing her. I mean, I don't know if that's a, a great reason to get married. Um, I, I, I'm not saying that he didn't love her, but to marry her to avoid losing her, I don't know, that's kind of possessive. While Frank proceeded to Long Beach, California to complete his time in the Navy, Audrey would stay behind to finish high school in Aniston. After graduating, Marie joined him there and eventually went with him when he was transferred to Boston um in 1952 uh, they learned audrey was expecting before the end of his tour um and after his discharge they returned to aniston and purchased a modest home michael hilly their first child would be born on november the 11th 1952 frank had become the shipping department foreman at standard foundry by the time carol hilly um the couple's second child was born in 1960 and audrey had a solid reputation as a executive, executive secretary. Even though the family's overall income had grown, Audrey's expenditures were still barely covered by it. Audrey was also exhibiting a troubling pattern of behavior at work. Uh, despite the fact that her superiors always saw her as competent and effective, her co-workers had different opinions. 
but she always had great references and she never had any trouble finding new employment. And Frank would later learn of one of the reasons why this would be the case. Um, and it's rather scandalous, shall we say, rather scandalous indeed. Carol and Mike Hilly would want nothing except perhaps their mother's attention. Like her own parents, Audrey lavished her children with financial goods while remaining emotionally distant. Carol was a tomboy, not the refined, polite daughter that, that Audrey Marie had desired. They were constantly at odds with one another. Um, and after observing the impact uh, Audrey's treatment was having, Frank would develop a special interest in Carol and began accompanying her to football games and for ice cream. Um, and rather unsurprisingly, Audrey would come to resent this close relationship between mother, uh, between father and daughter. I mean, maybe if you put some effort into connecting with your kids, Audrey, just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just putting it out. I don't have experience in, in this, but I'm just assuming. I'm sure people with kids would probably agree with me. Frank would occasionally worry about his wife. He would hold her while she shivered into a mysterious horror when she occasionally stayed up all night. She taunted him by showing him love letters she claimed to have gotten from local men, and her spending would continue unabated. Marie wanted the best, and she wanted it now. Um, to keep Frank from finding out what she was spending, she rented a post office box and started routing some bills there. In addition, she would also start to take out loans. By the fall of 1974, Frank was no longer able to overlook the issues in his home. He learned of his wife's credit arrangements through word of mouth. Then, worse, he discovered Marie in bed with her boss, Walter Clinton, when he came home from work one day feeling unwell. And that is why Marie, Audrey Marie, would get great references um, and her superiors would see her as a model employee because she was sleeping with her superiors. Poor Frank. Imagine coming home from work because you're not feeling great and then you, you see that. It's not going to make you feel any better, is it? That's for sure. When Frank told his son about the events, one thing he didn't mention was his increasingly failing health. In 1974, Frank would frequently become ill. He initially thought that his exhaustion and recurrent episodes of nausea and vomiting were caused by something he had eaten or by exposure to chemicals in the foundry. By May 1975, Frank was ready, finally, to see a doctor. The family's doctor, Dr. Jones, uh, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Jones first advised fluids, then copectate and uh, Malux, and finally a anti-spasmodic drug, uh, but nothing would be helpful. Um, when Audrey discovered Frank exploring the yard in his underwear um, around 3.30 a.m. on the 23rd of May, she drove him to the hospital where examinations revealed a failing liver an infectious, and an infectious hepatitis diagnosis. Frank's condition deteriorated. He became agitated, delusional, and jaundiced. Mike Hilly had to use all of his strength to stop his father from jumping out of the window. On May the 25th, at around 4am, Mike would leave the hospital to pick up his grandmothers so they could visit Frank. About an hour later, he would return and discovered his mother sleeping and his father dead. On May the 27th, 1975, 
Frank Hilly would be laid to rest with infectious hepatitis listed as the official cause of death. Audrey had no issue collecting the life insurance. Frank roughly had $31,000 in insurance, which, although not enough to make a woman rich, was still, nevertheless, a pretty good windfall. Audrey, however, was not happy. She claimed to various individuals that no one in her family loved her, least of all Carol, with whom she was continuously locked in a battle of wills. After Frank died, Lucille received a cancer diagnosis, so Audrey collected her family to help uh, help her care for her. Lucille was brought into Audrey's home to get care. Her invitation to Mike and Terry to move in with her was also extended to, to Mike and Terry, obviously. I don't know why I worded that sentence that way. That was dumb as shit, but it's me, so it's hardly surprising. Uh, Terry and he agreed that they would quickly come to regret their decision. The incessant bickering between Marie and Carol um, and his mother's requests for his time and attention exhausted Mike. Terry would also frequently suffer from gastrointestinal illnesses. Gastrointestinal problems. Where have we heard that one before? Um, One life insurance policy just wouldn't do for Audrey Marie. So she decided on taking out some more. This would include coverage for fire, cancer, and her own life insurance. Audrey, however, also covered the lives of her children. Mike was covered for $25,000, and uh, Carol was covered for $39,000 by two different policies. Read into that what you will, but it does sound like if something bad would happen to either Carol or Mike, somebody would be getting a pretty payday. Marie and Carol settled in with Frank's sister, Frida, first upon their return to Aniston and later with his mother, Carrie. There, strange instances would begin. Small fires, cut phone lines, and increasingly, a tendency in Carrie Hilly toward nausea and vomiting. So I think now is a good time to take a quick break while you guys listen to some other amazing amazing shows so i shall see you back here in a few minutes in a world that has been completely divided for so long two movie fans have decided to unite for the people and the betterment of mankind one an action movie buff the other a horror movie fanatic together they will try to bridge the gap of both genres into one podcast with their battle cry. Give me back my action and horror movies. Listen along as Charlie and Nate alternate each week talking about action and horror movies they cherish, mostly from the VHS era. Also, including some modern examples that felt like the movies they grew up with by answering the battle cry. Give me back my action and horror movies. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Look them up on Facebook and Instagram. Ghost stories are always scarier when they're told by the very people who experienced them. Hi, I'm Becky. And I'm Diana. And we're the hosts of the Homespun Haints podcast. We talk to people just like you who have come face to face with ghosts, demons, haints, and other strange paranormal phenomena. 
All of it makes for a chilling good time. So grab yourself a sweet tea, turn off the lights, and listen to some eerie, true ghost stories on Homespun Haints, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm not scared. Are you? Welcome back to part two of this case about the Black Widow, Audrey Marie Hilly, who she's got a few life insurance, taken out a few life insurance policies on her children. Her husband has passed away and she's got a pretty good payout from his insurance. Oh, I'm not saying that those are connected. Just saying. <laughs> That's a bit sus. That's a bit suspicious. In April 1979, Carol Healy um, would initially feel unwell. Uh, she returned to her high school for its annual junior-senior prom at the age of 19, where she was a freshman at a nearby college. The gathering had, uh, had the typical young adult distractions, food, drink, and a little marijuana. Uh, and as the night went on, Carol would start to feel nauseous. She ignored it, however, because it wasn't important enough to affect her good humor and instead focused on having fun. However, the sickness would come back with a vengeance the next day. Carol Hilly would not recover fully for an extremely long time after this. She grew sicker and more frail over the summer. She was experiencing severe muscle weakness, uh, along with nausea and vomiting, which were now practically constant. She was also experiencing tingling in her hands and feet. Uh, it's worth noting that she was under the constant care of her mother at this point. You know, the one who has not one, but two life insurance policies out on her own daughter. Make of that what you will. For the fourth time since April, Carol was admitted to Regional Medical Centre in Anniston in August. Uh, uh, Audrey Marie was advised to take Carol to Birmingham to visit Dr. John Elmore, a psychiatrist uh, by Dr. Warren Sarrell, who was perplexed and concerned. Upon Carol's release from RMC, Audrey did just that, telling the doctor that Carol was despondent and had several had said several times that she wanted to die. Carol, who was confined, confined to the hospital, was unable to observe how quickly her mother was drawn into a web of deceits and falsehoods of her own. Many of the checks that Marie had written, including some for the life insurance payments on Carol, had bounced, as well as the ones for the furniture in Carol's apartment. After the bank filed accusations, Audrey was taken into custody and later let go on bail. Meanwhile, uh, in Florida, Mike Hilly uh, was gradually coming to the conclusion that his father did not die of natural circumstances. On September the 20th, 1979, Audrey was arrested again on more check charges and the rest of Carol's family took the opportunity to reveal their suspicions to Carol's doctor. Um, he examined Carol's fingernails and toenails for Audrey's mess lines, which are white deposits uh, that can be seen in the nails of people who have received um, and a dose of arsenic and on each nail the lines were very much visible. Dr Thompson was confident that additional testing would show Carol Hilly to be loaded with arsenic uh, and to have and to have been so for a very long time. Mike Hilly submitted a lengthy letter to Ralph Phillips the coroner for the Cal for Calhoun County after learning that after learning of his sister's diagnosis. He related the quick deterioration uh, and passing of his father, the passing of Lucille Frazier, and Audrey's numerous banking and checking issues, and also Carol's illness. Audrey was now formally suspected of both murder 
and an attempted murder while still being held in custody on check charges. Audrey was the subject of a two-hour interview with investigator Gary Carroll on September the 26th that was recorded. Carroll gently questioned her until she acknowledged giving Carroll injections both at home and at the hospital, as well as giving her mother shots. She insisted that each of these uh, were merely medicine. Uh, The subsequent events were as startlingly quick as Carol's poisoning had been painfully slow. On October 3rd, 1979, the body of Frank Hilly would be exhumed. Three days later, Frieda um, Adcock discovered a pill bottle half full of liquid after searching the home where Marie and Carol had resided with Carrie Hilly. The liquid was arsenic, according to the tests. A medicine bottle that Marie had in her purse when she was arrested contained arsenic as well. Um, And as the evidence mounted, Audrey would be charged with the attempted murder of her daughter, Carol. Meanwhile, the the toxicology reports from Frank Hilly's exhumation, exhumation, oh my lord, uh, came back. Um, And to no surprise, arsenic would be present in his tissues at many times the normal level. Though it was too soon to tell conclusively if the poison had been the cause of death. On November the 11th, 1979, Audrey was granted bail and driven to a motel in Birmingham by her lawyer, uh, Wilford Lane. Uh, When Wilford Lane and his wife visited the motel to see uh, Audrey on November 18th, they learned that she had vanished. Her belongings were dispersed about the room, her bag was on the floor, and her bed had been covered with her empty handbag. Uh, Nearly immediately, her trail would be lost. Um, At Audrey's aunt's residence on November the 19th, there was a break-in. An overnight bag, some clothing, and the occupant's car were all missing. Um, The FBI would then join in the hunt for Audrey, following her from Marietta through Georgia to Savannah, where she was allegedly seen leaving a motel with a male. After that, the trail, however, would go completely cold. You know you fucked up when the FBI are joining in now. The FBI are like, yeah, we're, we're, uh, we've, uh, we've had enough of Audrey Marie. We're going to jump in. Yeah, you done fucked up. Um, after receiving the final toxicology test from Frank Hilly's um, exhumation back in Anniston, Marie would also be charged with her husband's murder on January the 11th, 1980. And although the police and the FBI would launch a big old manhunt for Audrey Marie, she would remain on the lam for the following Three years. John Greenleaf Homan III was the first person Marie encountered after arriving in Florida, where she was using the name Lindsay Robbie Hannon. Um, they lived together for more than a year before she married Homan on January the on May the 29th. I don't know where I got January from. Fucking hell. On May the 29th, 1981, and would take his last name. The couple relocated in New Hampshire. Um, and she regularly spoke of her fictitious twin sister, Terry, who uh, purportedly resided in Texas. She departed New Hampshire in the late, late summer of 1982, informing her husband that she had to take care of family matters and visit a doctor about a health issue. Using the alias Terry Martin, she would visit Texas and Florida during this time. While traveling, she called John under the guise of Terry and let him know that Robbie had passed away in Texas, but there was no need for him to travel to Texas because the body had already been donated 
to science. That's a bit convenient, that, isn't it? <laughs> Homan was interested in meeting Terry after talking to her on the phone um, and getting to know her. She concurred, stating that she shouldn't put that uh, he should put Robbie's passing behind them. In November 1982, Marie went through a weight loss and hair color change. Uh, she then went back to New Hampshire and contacted John Homan under the guise of Terry, his quote dead wife's sister. Uh, when authorities were unable to confirm any of the details uh, of an obituary for Robbie Homan that had appeared in a New Hampshire newspaper, suspicion would very much be raised. Co-workers of John were likewise suspicious of his new sister-in-law. According to a detective with the New Hampshire State Police, Terry Martin was actually Robbie Homan, who faked her own death. Shock and horror. Concerned co-workers and Homan supervisor learned that the Medical Research Institute of Texas, where Robbie's body had been delivered for analysis, didn't actually exist and that neither did the church that held a memorial service for her. Uh-ohs. <laughs> Uh-ohs indeed. Uh, in the interim, Terry had accepted a secretarial position in the adjacent Vermont town of uh, Brattleboro and was detained. She admitted when being questioned by Vermont state troopers that her real identity was, in fact, to the surprise of nobody, Audrey Marie Hilly, and that she was sought in Alabama for allegedly writing bad checks. This would be confirmed by state police in Alabama, who also relayed that she was wanted on other, much more serious charges. She was swiftly extradited to Alabama to face said charges. Ah, you're done fucked up, Miss Marie. <laughs> not, you oh, just not smart enough to get away with your own crimes. Shocker. Audrey Marie Hilly was found guilty of the murder of Frank Hilly and the attempted murder of Carol Hilly after the jury deliberated for barely three hours. She was given a life sentence for the murder and a 20-year sentence for the poisoning the next day. In a shocking turn of events that's going to surprise absolutely everybody, she would declare her innocence um, at her sentence hearing. Uh, Audrey arrived at the Tupwiller State Woman's Prison in Wetumpka, Alabama, on June the 9th, 1983. She was categorized as a medium security prisoner and given a job as a data processor. She was re-categorized re in 1985 as a minimum security prisoner, making her eligible for prisoner passes and furlough. Uh, yes, let's, let's allow this woman to leave prison. Good, good idea. I can foresee absolutely nothing going wrong with this idea. Her first eight-hour pass was approved before the end of 1986. That pass and the following three would go without incident, and Audrey would swiftly return um, to Tutwiller each time. By February 1987, she had met the requirements for a three-day furlough. However, this time, she would not return to her prison abode. Now, who saw that coming? Huh? Could it be me? John Homan had relocated to Anniston, and he and Marie spent the weekend in a hotel room. She informed John on Sunday morning that she wanted to go to her parents' graves and would meet him at 10 a.m. at a local restaurant. Um, 10 a.m. would indeed come and then indeed go, and Audrey Marie would be nowhere to be seen. 
Marie wrote a man wrote that a man named Walter was taking her out of town and that she planned to fly to Canada and get in touch with John later. John contacted the sheriff um, and given Marie's past, investigators concluded that she had well she had a well thought out escape strategy and had departed the states without delay. However, nobody would foresee what would occur next. Police were called to a house near Blue Mountain on February the 26th in the midst of a cold and rainy day. On Sue Craft's doorstep, a strange, agitated woman was in need of assistance. She said her name was Sellers and that her car had broken down. She had hypothermia and despite knowing a certain Audrey Marie Hilly for years, Sue Craft was unable to identify her. Audrey would start to have seizures and would lose consciousness shortly after. As the ambulance was transporting her to the hospital, her heart would stop. No one knew how long she had been wandering, but her body temperature had fallen to 81 degrees. And so, in a turn of events that was, that was filled with just a little bit of irony, Audrey Marie Hilly, who had always desired wealth and status, passed away in a depressing, lonely manner not far from her childhood home. On February the 28th, 1987, Audrey Marie Hilly's children would bury her beside Frank Hilly, the husband that she had indeed murdered. And that is a wrap on this week's episode about the Black Widow, Audrey Marie Hilly. Um, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Obviously, it was just me. Um, so I don't know how much that took away from how much you would normally enjoy, but I hope you did enjoy. If you enjoy what we do here at Horror House, please do leave us a rating on Spotify uh, or a review on Apple. Uh, please do follow us on your podcast app of choice, whether that's Spotify, whether that's Apple, whether that's Stitcher, Google, Amazon Music, whatever whatever it is you listen. And also, please follow us on social media um, at horrorhouse underscore pod. And I'll also put that in the show notes. If you would like to support us financially, um, there is the merch store. There is also the Buy Me A Coffee link as well. Both of those will be in the show notes. So that's a great way to financially give us some love and support. So if you would like to do that, please, please feel free. So all that's left to say, um, my friends, is until next time, as always, stay spooky. <laughs>